Welcome to another episode of the Buckets Mentality Podcast. This is the first episode of the podcast in 2021. I'm so excited to get into this one. We got a lot of basketball discussion. The first like seven-ish games of the season. Some teams will play eight around there. We're just going to talk about it and break down some of the biggest stories around the league. First couple weeks in. And the first thing I want to talk about today is Steph and Curry. And Steph's been a polarizing figure. People were talking about this man being washed, how he can't carry a team, lead a team, whatever, after a couple of bad games. They got blown out a couple games. Curry had some bad shooting games, and people were on his ass, man. They were really on his ass, praying on his downfall. But now, the past couple of games, Steph dropped a 60-piece, and then Steph came back after that and dropped 30, almost a triple-double in three quarters. And he's really shutting up those haters and proving to people why I believe he's the second best player on the planet, why I believe he's the best point guard in the league. And he's really showing people who he is and what he is about. But let's look at the difference of Steph Curry in his wins versus his losses so far this season. In wins, Steph Curry has a game where he dropped 36 points on 56 effective field goal percentage. He dropped 31 on 68 effective field goal percentage. He had a 62-point game on 71 effective field goal percentage. And he had a 30-piece on 64 effective field goal percentage. In that game, he only played three quarters, and he almost had a triple-double in that game. In his losses, Steph's averaging in these four games, he put up just 20 points on 38 effective field goal. He put up 19 points on 41 effective field goal. He put up 26 points on 55 effective field goal. And he put up just 13 points against the Clippers at the time of this recording on 32 effective field goal percentage. Uh, They play again tonight against the Clippers. We'll see if he can do better in that game. But the Warriors are 4-4 and on the season. And there's a pretty common denominator when the Warriors are winning versus when the Warriors are losing. In every game the Warriors have won this season, Curry's put up 30-plus points per game, and he's done it extremely efficiently from the field. So he's got to have that continue. He has to score that pretty much every night for the Warriors to have a chance to win because in a lot of these games where they're losing and Curry's putting up these low point totals, they're getting blown out. They're getting 20 and 30 balled at times. And we know Steph's getting doubled and triple teamed. He's getting trapped both with and without the ball every single time he's on the court. But I believe Steph is so good that he's capable of giving you that on most nights. And on some nights, he's going to wear out. He's not going to be able to give you that type of production. He's not going to be able to carry that same load. And Draymond being back helps that tremendously. He's a playmaker. He's a screen setter. He's got high basketball IQ. He can lead some of these other guys, get them in their spots. And he has chemistry with Steph Curry. That said, I think he'll be able to do enough with Steph and maybe Oubre will shoot better because he can barely buy a bucket from three-point range. They're leaving him wide open and he can't convert. Wiggins has looked pretty solid as of late. He's getting better and more comfortable with his Warrior system. Wiseman looks good in the middle as a guy that can feast a little bit on the interior. And he's got some good defensive instincts and he's got defensive uh, physical tools alongside Draymond that will allow him to be very effective. So this Warriors team does have some talent on it. And they're working on the chemistry piece. Kent Bazemore is getting to the rotation, which is cool to see. Damian Lee is another guy that can shoot the ball and he's more minutes. This Warriors team is still going to be around a sixth seed in my estimation. I mean, Curry will be able to drop 30-plus. He'll be able to have his MVP-level games more often than not. But he's also going to have some stinkers. And he's going to have some games where it's not like they're one-on-one just dogging him and clamping him up. Although Drew Hall, they did a really good job when they played against the Bucks. It's a lot of traps. It's a lot of double teams, sometimes triple teams. They're getting the whole squad on them, and they're jumping this man because they finally 
don't have to deal with the fact that he has Clay Thompson on one wing, Kevin Durant on the other wing, and he still has Draymond Green. Like, this is not as far from a super team. In fact, the supporting cast is a little bit underwhelming in a lot of aspects in terms of there's not really an above average shooter that's getting consistent rotational minutes. Definitely not in the starting lineup outside of Steph Curry. And Steph himself has struggled with the three ball because they're just guarding him so tight on those. And most of the time he has to give it up. So we'll see what happens with the Warriors. I think they'll be all right. Uh, they'll be around a six seed, maybe win around if they're lucky, but nothing more than that. I know people are overreacting on both sides of the spectrum. And people just want to hate on Steph, but he's an elite player in this game. And he's doing a pretty good job thus far. Honestly, if we want to talk about first seven, eight games, who's the MVP? Steph's going to get a lot of votes because of those big-time 62-point games, a 30-point near triple-double. He's really doing his thing out there. People see the kind of defensive attention he is receiving. Next, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Has Brooklyn met my expectations? You guys know I talked a lot about Brooklyn, about how I thought they were going to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So I thought they were going to be the second-best team in the league. So they're sitting up here, and they're 5-4 and four on the season. Uh, they just came off of a big-time win without Kevin Durant, without Kyrie Irving against the Philadelphia 76ers. Karis LeVert had a pretty good all-around game. Joel Harris shooting the lights out from three-point range. Jared Allen did a really good job on Joel Embiid in the interior. But when we talk about this Brooklyn Nets team, the reason I'm so high on them is when they do have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And KD and Kyrie have looked great so far when they've played together. KD's averaging 28 points per game with five assists on 59 effective field goal percentage. He's taken 17 and a half shots a game. Kyrie Irving right behind him in terms of one less point per game at 27 points per game, but one more assist at six assists per game. He's shooting 60 effective field goal percentage, 1% higher than KD. And he's taking a couple more shots at 20 field goal attempts. And for me, the, the recipe for the Brooklyn Nets is KD needs to take more shots throughout the game. Kyrie needs to be talk, uh, taking those shots, excuse me, late in the game. Kind of like the LeBron James, Kyrie Irving dynamic, except for Kyrie was more so a uh, three-level score. Scoring versatility was on a higher level than LeBron James, although LeBron James has extremely underrated scoring versatility. He can shoot the three. Uh, he has a pretty improved mid-range shot, turnaround, fadeaway shot. He can get to the cup as well. But LeBron's a primary distributor and playmaker for others. KD's not really a playmaker. KD's more so of a get-my-own-bucket type of guy, and that's what Kyrie Irving is too. Kyrie's had to adapt and be a little bit more of a playmaker because he is playing the point guard position. He's going to get some assists with the ball in his hands, and he actually is an underrated passer. But KD's going to need to have the most field goal attempts on this team. It just has to be that way. Kyrie needs to know it has to be that way. And the trade-off should be that Kyrie gets those late-game shots because he, to me, is the best closer in the association. I'd rather have him take a shot for game than Kevin Durant. I just think he's a more clutch player when it comes to down the stretch taking the last shot. Uh, I trust Kyrie more. I trust his bag more. And he doesn't have the seven-foot frame that Kevin Durant has. And KD's a better scorer. He's the best scorer in the league, the best scorer I've ever seen. But at the end of the day, what Kyrie Irving can do getting to the cup, he's one of the best, if not the best, under-the-rim finisher in the game. He has a lethal mid-range shot. He's got a lethal three-point shot. He's got a step back. He's got the best handle to break down a defender. I just think that's the role you use Kyrie Irving in, in the closing role. And, and you use KD as a guy to get buckets throughout the rest of the game. And, and sometimes, obviously, he can close the game. He's hit some big shots in the NBA Finals. 
They weren't nearly as pressure shots as the Kyrie Irving shot in the 2016 Finals of Game 7, but it was still very clutch shots over LeBron James in 2017-2018. But Kyrie, to me, is the guy that closes the games. KD can also get his buckets throughout the game, and they should have a good uh, trade-off there with those two stars. They can both play off the ball. They can both play together. They both have chemistry. They both like each other. I think it's going to be cool in that aspect. Now, they did lose Spencer Dinwiddie. And Dinwiddie was my pick for sixth man of the year. Steve Nash decided to have him in the starting lineup to start the season. And it was kind of an interesting, weirdish fit to me. I mean, he could play with those guys, but it seemed like he made more sense to be in the second unit. There were some minutes where he would play with the second unit when KD and Kyrie were off the floor. But now all that means to me is just a lot more staggering of the minutes between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I was already saying when Dinwiddie was healthy, they needed to stagger their minutes more because you were looking at the second unit and the Nets, although they do have depth, I mean, they were really losing a lot of leads and they were losing a lot of ground when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were not in the game. They were just coming off fresh, not really getting the ball as much. They didn't really have the same sort of impact. Obviously, you're not going to have the same impact as a superstar, but when you have two superstars out of the game, when other teams are playing at least one of their stars with the second unit, you're going to lose some ground. And yeah, Karis LeVert's going to be in that six-man role. That's what Steve Nash has been doing so far. But I, I just think they need a little bit more pop. So either Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving is going to have to stay in the game. I do believe Jared Allen should be in the starting lineup. He greatly improves their defense. And their defense has been one of the main focal points of, okay, are the Nets really legit because they don't play very good defense. Uh, I don't think their defense is quite as terrible as some people make it out to be. And it's not going to be as big of a problem because there's only a serious issue when it comes to defense if one of these three things are occurring. Either A, KD and Kyrie just aren't doing their job offensively because these are two of the most deadly offensive weapons in the game. So good luck trying to match buckets with them. I don't really think most teams can. The second one would be the others can't really hold their own, like I said, when KD and Kyrie go to the bench. And then the third thing is the other team has the offensive firepower to match buckets with them. And there are really, there's really only a couple teams in the league, if only maybe just the Lakers that can really consistently match buckets with the Brooklyn Nets. So, I mean, we'll see on a given night. We saw what the Hawks were able to do. Trey young going crazy with that offense. Dallas has good offensive firepower. The Nuggets have good offensive firepower. There's a lot of teams that have good offense in the league. But still, you're matching buckets with this Brooklyn offense. They have good depth. They have shooters like Joe Harris and Landry Shamit. You have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's going to be really tough to match buckets with these guys. And I think the offensive system that Dan Tony and Steve Nash have collaborated on has really opened up the floor, and it looks really, really good. So good luck with that. But their defense will be better if they have the rim protector, Jared Allen, the starting lineup. DeAndre Jordan's okay, but he's he's kind of struggling. He's kind of getting up there in age. He's not the same player that he once was. So that would be the best case scenario to me for the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm still extremely high on the Brooklyn Nets. And even without Spencer Dinwiddie, I still believe this is still a very, very good team. And I still believe they can make the finals out of the Eastern Conference. Um, they, I was more confident in them, obviously, when they had Spencer Dinwiddie. But even without him, I still believe they have enough to get the job done, as is with their roster. Moving on, we'll talk about Nikola Jokic, he's been one of the biggest stories so far at the beginning of the season. We'll talk about him versus Joel Embiid because we're talking about this best center 
in the league conversation, which at this point, why is it even a conversation for the best center in the league? Nikola Jokic is literally averaging an efficient triple-double right now. This is a center we are talking about that is leading the league in assists. The dude is averaging 26 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists. He's shooting 58% from the field, 44% from three-point range, 62 effective field goal percentage, and a steal and a half a game. And Bede is having a great season. Okay, 25 points a game, 12 rebounds, three assists. He's shooting 52.5% from the field, 46% from three-point range, 57 effective field goal percentage. He's giving you a steal, and he's giving you two blocks. But Jokic's offensive impact is simply just far more valuable in the modern game. He runs the show. He's the point center. Like I said, leading the league in assists. He's got a handle. He has a jumper, elite basketball IQ, court vision, and he makes others around him better. Jokic is literally in his life in the NBA playoffs, never had a bad series. He's never had a bad series. He's continuously shown up, and we, we know what he can give you in a given series. At times, people were questioning his lack of aggression or whatever. Jokic is calmly putting up 25-26 a game now. There's no question about whether he's going to be aggressive enough looking for his own shot. We saw, saw excuse me, how many turnaround fadeaways this man was hitting in the playoffs and what type of bag he has as a score, even though he's really not in the best shape and everything. People talk about, oh, he's not that athletic, but he can still get out there and get buckets, okay? And with MB, we question, like, what he's going to be on a consistent basis offensively. We know he's elite defensively protecting the rim. We know he's elite as a scorer on the block. But he's far less consistent with his jumper. He can't initiate offense in the same way. And he doesn't elevate an overall offensive unit in the same way. We still have questions about his ability to elevate his game in the big moments and meet and exceed some of the expectations for his squads that we've seen with the Philadelphia 76ers in the last couple of years. And I'd rather have a guy that can generate buckets as a play initiator that can elevate my entire offense and put good defenders around him rather than taking a two-way player unless I already have a superior bucket generator with him. For example, I'd rather have Jokic to build around, like if we're starting a team. But if I already had a guy like Luka Doncic on my roster, of course I could take Joel Embiid to be my rim protector and be the play finisher alongside of Luka, but Luka would be the best player on that team. A lot of these teams in the league that are contending, it's all about the guys that can generate the highest amount of offense for you and do it efficiently. And that's what Nikola Jokic brings to the table, even though it's not traditional I guess people are really so like tied down to, yes, the rim protector is the most important defensive position, and Jokic is not a high-level rim protector whatsoever, far from it. Now, that said, though, the better basketball players, Nikola Jokic, he just happens to be playing the center position. And you can bring in a defensive-minded power forward like a guy like Paul Millsap. I mean, he's not in his prime anymore. If he was in his prime, that'd be a lot better. But another guy that can protect the rim, too, and help Jokic out in that aspect. But Jokic is the better basketball player. He just happens to be playing the center position. And I would take him for sure. you got to give the Sixers some credit. Doc Rivers has done a great job. Seth Curry adding some more shooting around Embiid. And Simmons is really good for that Philadelphia 76ers team. And they're rolling. But again, they just lost to the Brooklyn Nets without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And we're not going to overreact. People talk about, oh, second night of a back-to-back, yada, 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 making all these excuses. And it's just one game, so it doesn't really matter. But... I got to see the Sixers string it together over the course of the regular season, and I got to see, even if I do see that, 
how Embiid and Simmons are going to look in the playoffs. Because I remember Ben Simmons having a one-point playoff game. I still remember that although Ben Simmons has taken, I believe, two threes this year, he's still not a threat from anywhere outside of the paint. So those shooters are going to really have to be knocking down shots. Tobias Harris has played really well. He's going to have to continue to do that. And Embiid's going to continue to need to be efficient as a three-level scorer if the Sixers are going to really go anywhere and make some serious noise in the Eastern Conference playoffs. The Nuggets do have problems of their own, mainly when it comes to the defensive end of the floor. I told people they wouldn't be nearly as good as they were last year because they had a lot of losses defensively that really went under the radar. Torrey Craig, um, you go down the line, they lost Jeremy Grant as well. So Nuggets have some work to do, but at least we saw Nikola Jokic come back from down 3-1 against the Jazz, against the Clippers. And then we saw him play a very good first-round series against San Antonio, I believe it was two years ago. And even when they lost against Portland, he still showed up. He played very, very well. I don't think it's a debate. I'm not really entertaining the Jokic and Bede debate, at least for now, until I really see sustained excellence from Joel Embiid, until I see it in the playoffs where he meets or exceeds expectations. But I'd still take Jokic, without a doubt. Moving on, probably the last topic of the podcast for today, we're going to be talking about my man, Luka Doncic, and he was my pick for MVP. I have high hopes for the Dallas Mavericks this season. I believe they can make the Western Conference Finals. And this man, Luka Doncic, is struggling mightily to shoot the three. I said going into the season that really the biggest thing he needs is to improve his three-point shot, and that will be the step to unlocking the next level of his game. And he just simply, through these first eight-ish games, he just hasn't done that yet. He's putting up 28 nine and eight despite that okay that he's still putting up a near triple double and the Mavs are playing 500 ball they lost the Bulls in the one game Luka Doncic missed shows you his value right there so they're over 500 with Luka in the lineup and they're still missing Kristaps Porzingis but at the same time I'm not going to give this man a pass or any excuses this man is shooting roughly one out of seven at just 21 percent from downtown that's that's unacceptable okay and he's taking seven three-pointers a game, and he's barely hitting over one. Like, man, you, you got to step up in that aspect, and you got to develop that shot because it's going to not only improve your MVP case, but it's also going to improve your team's ability to be successful and shock the world like I think they can. I don't think, in general, Lucas should be taking more than five threes a game, and he should attack the basket more. He has all the tools to shoot 35% from three-point range because he has a nice-looking shot, okay? And he has the range. We've seen him hit some big-time shots like he did against the Clippers in the playoffs. And that's not the only instance. We've seen countless times where he's hitting step-back threes. He literally hit a big-time one in the fourth quarter against Denver last night to win the that basketball game. He's just coming off of outplaying James Harden and Nikola Jokic in back-to-back games. So we know how great this man is. He's only in his third year. But again, that shot is going to open up the game so much more. If he can shoot a higher percentage, 21% is just unacceptable. If he gets closer to 35%, I think the Dallas Mavericks will be in really, really good shape. And they're already in really, really good shape because Josh Richardson has been a big-time addition for them. And they're going to get Christos Porzingis back in the next couple of weeks. And I think they'll take off from there. So that's going to do it, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Buckets Mentality Podcast 2021. We'll likely have a podcast every Friday, so look out for that. Appreciate y'all for rocking with me. I'm out. Peace.